Amen. <clears throat> Praise God. Where would we be without mom? Yes. You wouldn't be here without mom. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So uh, just a few announcements before we proceed. Today is our, <clears throat> excuse me, is our annual Mother's Day Memorial Offering. So this is a ministry extension of the Ladies Ministries of the United Pentecostal Church International, and it supports a multiplicity of ministries, things like Church Advancement, Global Missions, Lighthouse Ranch for Boys. It also supports things like the Music Ministry, My Hope Radio, New Beginnings, North American Missions, Tupelo Children's Mansion, Urshan Graduate School of Theology, and World Network of Prayer. That's a lot of ministries. So it goes to a good cause. So if you want to give to that, just mark it Mother's Memorial Offering in, in your offering plate, and, uh, and that will go to that cause. Also, this week, Tuesday, is praise team practice. So if you're here and you've never been on the praise team and it sounds like something you might be interested in, then you can come and be a part of this. That will be this Tuesday night in the sanctuary at 7 p.m. For the singers, the musicians will need to be here at 6.30 in the evening. Also, next Sunday, May the 19th, there's a department head meeting at 4.30 in the VIP breakfast room. That's downstairs. Also, there is full church prayer at 6 p.m., what a tremendous time we had last, last prayer meeting. And I will tell you this, and some of you know what I'm talking about. There is a distinct atmosphere when angels are present. And, 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 and it's, it's a different type of atmosphere. And so that atmosphere was absolutely present in that last prayer meeting. And I am 100% convinced that we had ministering angels and uh, we had a prophetic word that went forth as well, and it, it's, just, it's just really awesome. So please try to make a point to come to that. Also, on Monday, May 27th, mark your calendars. It's the annual Memorial Day picnic. And so uh, that's going to take place on May 27th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. in the evening or whenever we're done playing softball, basically. That's going to be at Stocksdale Park Shelter Number 1. So the meal is going to be potluck. So there is a list that is in your bulletin of, of the things that need to be brought, so please reference that. Also, if you did not get a bulletin, you can get one, but, but if you can't get one for whatever reason, there is a bulletin board downstairs that also has that list of the things that need to be brought. So make sure that you sign up to bring something for that. Also, there is our annual Impact versus Refuge softball game. I think the kids won it last time. Didn't they? Last year? <laughs> okay, so we need to avenge ourselves. I think they've won it two years in a row, as a matter of fact. So, you know, so I think it's, I think it's time that, uh, that we, 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 we don't believe in revenge, and this is church, but I didn't say revenge, I said avenge. I don't know if they're different words or not, but at least it sounds a little better. So anyways, come and bring your softball gear. We, we're all, all joking aside, we always have a great time with that. So if you love softball, if you love fellowship, if you just love good food, come and be a part of that. That's on May 27th. Amen. So uh, let's turn to the Bible, to the book of Exodus chapter 32. And we're going to begin a new series today called The Way We Worship. Now, if you're a first-time guest, so you understand what's going on, this is a part of our service we call Deeper Waters. And it's just about a 20-minute Bible lesson. We try to go a little bit deeper into the scriptures. It's not the main... Message. You're going to hear from a real preacher in a little bit. Uh, our own sister Jackie Dornbach is going to be speaking. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know if they get that excited when anybody else preaches, but, <laughs> but okay. Anyways, so, uh, so that's what this is. So this is Deeper Waters. Exodus 32, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said, Up, oh, make us gods, which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man which brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what is become of him. Now, so you know what's going on in the text. Moses is up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. And he's been up there for a long time, 40 days. So they're like, we don't know what's happened to this guy. So, so up, Aaron, make us gods. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings, which are in your, the ears of your wives, of your sons, your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he made a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Can you believe that they're doing this? For they have just saw God in a pillar of fire part the Red Sea. And they've seen a, a multiplicity of plagues that only God could have performed. And yet here they are. But verse 6 says, And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get down for your people, which you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have not... They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So as I said, Moses has been up on this mountain for 40 days. Now, of course, we know how it all ended, but they had no idea. So in their defense, at least a little bit. You know, Moses could not have gave them any kind of, hey, we're going to be up here for 40 days. Moses didn't know how long he's going to be up there. I don't think he knew. But he was up there for 40 days, so they thought our leader has died or he's got ate by something or he's just wandered off and got lost or he's died of starvation, whatever the case was. So Israel had no idea what had become of him, so they did the only thing that they knew. They worshipped something else. Now, it kind of proves that their relationship at this point was not with God, it was with Moses. Moses was the only one that had really encountered God in the burning bush. So Moses already had a relationship with God. And so you can't really worship a God that you don't have a daily relationship with. You, ha- you need to have that daily relationship with God. But there's a general principle that's taught here that we can miss in the text. And that is this. In the absence of the daily presence of God in our life, man will always turn to something else to worship. And that is exactly what happened in this text. Because the reason here is this. Man simply does not worship. Man was created as a worshiper. It's not what you do. It's who you are. You are a worshiper. I could say, well, you're, you're a ball player, and you might be good at basketball, but you're not a ball player. You became a ball player. You might have natural skills in doing so. But what you are is you're a man. You're a woman. You don't become that. Contrary to popular belief in schools now, you can't cross genders. You were born one or the other, unless there's some medical reason that would rule that out. Um, but, but that's what you are. That's who you are. I could say, who is your mother? Who is your father? It's who you are. You can't change it. It's what you are. In the same sense, you don't worship. You are 
a worshiper. Now, this is really important. This is pivotal to our understanding of what worship really is, that worship is not what we do, it's who we are. In other words, you are always worshiping something. There is a God that right now in your life, you are bowing down to on a daily basis. Now, it may not be literally, not literally bowing down to it, but you're adoring it, you're worshiping it. Because it's number one in your life. Look at Genesis 3 and 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now this was after Adam and Eve have sinned. So that Adam and Eve worshipped God in the cool of the day, probably the morning, was, was likely probably the norm up to this point. So they walked with God. It wasn't just walking with him. They worshiped him as God. Now, I don't, the, the scripture doesn't really say this. It's something I believe. I believe the Lord came down and was, there was a physical manifestation of God in, in that, at that point. That's what I believe. And so they walked with God, and they were, that was a time of worship. But that place of worship turned into a place of terror. And the sweet, soft voice of the Lord God now seemed like the angry clap of thunder as they hid themselves from God, the God they once worshipped and adored. And from that moment until now, when Adam sinned and fell and shame, uh, shame overcame his mind, man has been searching for something to worship and to fill that void. Because man was created as a worshiper. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Verse 21 through 25 says, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they, be- and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. Instead, they became fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile things and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth of God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Now this goes on to talk about how the sin of homosexuality was rampant among them. Now, I, I believe that the word they or these that he's speaking of was, is generally the, Gentile, the Gentiles. So they had the evidence of God's existence. Paul talks about this earlier in chapter 1. They knew God existed because of two things, creation and conscience. Their conscience naturally taught them, and still does, that there is a God. And also creation. Look around you. How did we get all these things? Where did we come from? So creation is the evidence of God's existence. So they had that evidence that God existed, but they chose not to worship God. And as a result, they turned to other things to worship. Why? Because man is a worshiper. And these things became gods to them. So the downward spiral of sin and their ultimate depravity, eventually leading to extreme sexual perversion, was spun out of the sin of idolatry when they simply chose not to worship God as God alone. How important is worship? So important that when we are not worshiping God, we will naturally fall in love with something else to take his place. Because man is a worshiper. If we ever stop worshiping God, we will naturally fall into the most utter 
sins of de- we will naturally fall into, into utterly depraving sins because we are not worshiping God. And so this is where the downward spiral of sin really begins in our life. When, 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 when there's a little idol, and if there's a little idol in your life, then you cannot say that God is completely on the throne. And there's a downward spiral because it's idolatry. And we begin, those little idols become bigger and bigger and bigger in our life to the point that it overtakes our mind and our heart. It's all we think about. It's, it's the first thing that we think about in the morning. It's what we meditate upon all day. It's what we think about when we go to bed at night. And what happens is it's, it's become an idol. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's pulling us down. And it's, it's playing into our sinful nature. So if we ever stop worshiping gods, we, we will worship false gods. Deuteronomy 6.4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and might. So we know we're, we're oneness apostolic. So the fact of there only being one God, but, is, but the fact that there only being one God is just as much a practical insight as it is a theological one. And that is that there is only one God in this universe. And nothing else can compare to him. Yeah. Nothing else we might be into can ever take the place of that one singular God. And therefore, only he is worthy to be worshipped as God. So this passage is not just talking about make sure you know that there's not three gods or ten gods or, or a half a dozen gods. But there is only one God. That, that's definitely part of it. But this passage is just as much talking about worship as it is anything else. Because he said, you've got to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what is worship but loving God? With all your heart, soul, mind, and worship. Everything else makes for a very bad God. Because it will let you down. Sports figures can become gods and worshiped as gods. Movie stars are worshipped as gods. Money is absolutely worshipped as gods. Even Jesus talked about that. Some people worship their bodies at the gym. I go to the gym. I, I, I try to go as often as I can, three, maybe four days a week. I'll never look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sorry, honey. <laughs> I gave up on my six-pack about ten years ago. <laughs> I'm just trying. I'm, I'm just going for survival at this point. But I see those guys, and they do look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they're going like this in the gym. I mean, you know, you've seen it, right? If you go to the gym, they're in love with their body. I'm not, I'm not condemning. I'm just, if you do that, God bless your heart. <laughs> but you can worship yourself. Self-worship. But God has given the church the duty of worship. And the proper way to worship God is only to have him as God and nothing else. Worship is our duty and our privilege. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this word service at the end of verse 1, you know what it means? The Greek word there is worship. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable 
and, and what is your reasonable worship? And it's interesting that he called it service in the English. Because worship is our opportunity to serve God. Like that is our first opportunity. The idea Paul had in mind was a burnt offering where the entirety of the animal was burnt or offered up to God and symbolized how the worshiper was presenting his entire heart, soul, and mind to God in worship. And so there came a time where it was just ritualistic and, and it didn't really symbolize that anymore among the Jews. And so, so Jesus told that woman in John chapter 4, the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers are not going to worship on this mountain over here or in this temple over here, but the true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and in truth. That means it had to come from the heart and with an understanding of who God is. And Paul said, when we get our worship right, the perfect will of God becomes clear to us. When we get our worship right, everything else becomes clear in our life. Look at this passage from the New Living Translation, and it becomes more clear what it's saying. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the way we worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't let God... But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Watch what he says now. Then, when you get your worship right, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So many things are not clear to so many people. Their life seems like a mess. And truly, their life is confusing. And here's why. Because their worship is wrong. And that's not condemning. It's just saying they don't have God in a clear focus in their spirit, in their hearts. So many things are not clear to so many people, and the reason is of their worship. We think we can worship him with just our words in, in a song on Sunday. But Paul said we have to offer him everything, every single day, our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. Because that is the way it was in the beginning before Adam ever fell. And from that moment until now, man is still trying to get his worship right. Because our worship is a spiritual chorus to the lost. Whenever people come in here and they come into the church and, and worship is right, it creates a very spiritual and, and, and electric atmosphere that people can physically and emotionally feel. Right. I remember I saw this at a lady conference, a ladies' conference, when I went to get my, my minister's license, it was my general license, it was quite a few years ago. And and, 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 and I saw, as I was waiting to, to uh, meet the board, I, I, was, I, was, I was downstairs. I was just outside of the room where the ladies met. And I overheard two ladies that were in the hotel, and they were employees. And, and one stepped into the room, and they had the doors open. And then she stepped out, and she was crying. And she said, you need to walk in there because there's something in there. And I will tell you what. That's what an atmosphere of apostolic worship feels like to the lost. It's a spiritual chorus to them. And they know when it's just smoke and mirrors or when it's, when the, gen, or when it's the genuine presence of God. Nothing draws people into God's presence like real apostolic anointed worship. There's nothing else that would draw them in. And we don't have time to read it because they're running out of time. But Exodus 10, 24 through 26, I'll just tell what this says. After the plague of darkness, there came a time whenever Pharaoh said, okay, I want you to, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go, but leave your cattle behind. And Moses' response was this. Uh, 
we can't go without our cattle because we have to offer to God something to worship. So Pharaoh wanted Moses to leave without their cattle. And Moses' response was, we can't leave our cattle behind because we have to go to worship God. Now consider this, that in the Old Testament, nobody ever came to God to worship without a sacrifice. A sacrifice was literally required because worship was costly. It wasn't free. How often would we prefer, however, to come before God without any kind of a sacrifice? And Moses says, I would rather stay here in the land of Egypt than leave and be out in the middle of the desert with our wives and our children and everybody else, but, not with, but without something to offer God. And that was Moses' idea of how important worship was because worship without sacrifice is how Egypt worships, not how God's people worship. That's not the scripturally prescribed way we are supposed to worship. We talk about, you know, we used to sing a song back in the 80s. It went something like this. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Du, 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 du. We bring the, and, and that's kind of what we sing. And, you know, and I heard it preached that praise is a sacrifice. But no, no, no. Sa- a, praise requires a sacrifice. Praise is not the sacrifice. Praise requires a sacrifice, and the sacrifice is us. We are that offering that we're putting on. It's the filling of our heart to God. It's our total devotion to God. It's the smell of devotion that God wants to, wants to have. So the lifestyle that we live should be an act of worship. So worship is not just some cheap thrill. It's not a part-time Sunday morning blessing. It's a full-time responsibility. Every moment of our lives should be spent in worship to God. It's what I look at. It's what I listen to. It's what I do with my hands. It's the places my feet go. It's, it's what my mind meditates and dwells upon. It's what I look at. Uh, it's, it's, it's the places I go. It's, it's, it's the way I dress. It's what I put on. What I choose not to put on should glorify the Lord. And if it's glorifying Egypt and drawing attention to myself, then it's probably not something I should be wearing. Or places that I should be going because that is a worship issue. Look at what he says in Hebrews 13 and 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Praising God with our lips in song or worship is a sacrifice of praise. But good deeds done unto the Lord are also sacrifices of praise. How often do we come to God without a sacrifice? We call Sunday morning a service, but think it's a service to us. What am I going to get out of service this morning? But the service was never directed at you or me. It's we are bringing a sacrifice of worship to the Lord. We are bringing something that should be pleasing to God. And you know what? God responds to worship. Because the scripture says this as we stand. In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. You know what the word Judah means? As you know, it means praise, worship. In Judah, in worship is God known. His acts are known in worship. And I close in this, Psalms 100 and verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. We don't need... 
a cheerleader to worship God. I know what he's done for me. He's done so much for me. I cannot tell at all. Let's do that right now. Let's lift our hands to God and thank him. Jesus. We lift up the name of Jesus. We glorify. We make it. 